Well, welcome back to The Faith of the Fathers. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, here to reignite the faith of the fathers. I was hoping to do a live stream, but I have not yet figured all that stuff out. My life is crazy right now, as some of you who have followed me for a while now kind of, I'm sure you're picking that up. Um, it actually gets hard to post things because um, I've been doing so much uh, prayer with people over for deliverance um, that I've hardly had time for anything else. It's been really crazy, really wild, very exciting and challenging. Uh, today, I'm going to um, answer some objections that I'm hearing to deliverance ministry, and this is not a overly thorough podcast. This is kind of from the gut. I've taken a few notes, and um, some of you have written in some questions that you'd like me to address. I'm going to do my best, but this is going to be a very informal podcast, um, just catching you up to speed on what's going on, where I am in this process, and um, yeah, and I hopefully answer some of your questions at the end of today's episode. I will spend some time praying, so if you have um, uh, something that you feel you need deliverance for, stick around to the end because I'm going to pray as the Spirit leads me, and it's going to be good. I've been blown away by folks who are—sorry, uh, Tarleton, my friend— uh, I'm not supposed to say folks, that really uh, gets under her skin. So friends, um, I'm going to uh, spend some time uh, praying, um, at the, and I've been, been blown away by uh, the amount of people that have uh, told me that they're um, moved to tears by the prayers at the end, and um, I think that's really touching on one, uh, on one hand, and on the other side, on the other hand, it's uh, a little disturbing to me that we are so um, we are so thirsty as as a people for for real prayer for like for intimate fellowship. Um, how many times are we going to church and not receiving ministry? I mean, uh, we have seen that in the past couple of years that for many people, watching church online is no different than going to church. And I've been uh, taken to school a little bit uh, in seeing that God really is moving through the internet, that many people's lives are being changed through the internet, but church is so much more than that. You have to be in the presence of people. Humans were made to be with humans, not through a screen, but in actual presence. Um, and so many people don't have someone in their life who uh, who actually prays with them, and it's really, we need to cultivate that um, if you don't have that in your life, you need to cultivate community. I know people are starving for community. I uh, live in a community that is incredibly rich, and I don't say this at all to make you feel bad. Uh, I live here in western North Carolina in a little town called Hendersonville. Um, actually, that's not technically where I live, but it's where I grew up, and I'm just on the outskirts of that. And we know so many um, amazing Christians and have an incredible fellowship here in the area, not in one particular church meeting place, but in several different ones. And we we mix and match all the time, not because we're trying to do unity in some kind of intentional surface level way. As a lot of I've been to many of those kind of church functions where people gather uh, kind of to show that they're unified, even though that may be the only time they ever see each other is at that picnic. We truly have a uh, a community that kind of ebbs and flows, goes into different people's homes, and it's not it's not coerced or any way. It's just people who love Jesus. And I think a lot of people who have been through a lot of stuff and know that unity and fellowship requires work, as uh, my friend, our friend, Sarah Saltz, uh, told us one time, and I think she was quoting someone else, but this is a great quote. She said, the number one rule of community is, I'm annoying, you're annoying. Kind of once you accept that, that sometimes you're annoying to people, and sometimes they're annoying to you, and that's part of community, and you just kind of have to suck it up and deal with it. That's a, But also that you're still loved in the middle of that, that's like the basis for community. And I know a lot of folks here watching the podcast today or listening to it, or those of you who follow me on Telegram or Facebook, uh, many of you say, I can't find fellowship. Uh, but there is a rule um, that I heard someone say, you know, be the friend that you want to be. You have to be the fellowship that you want to be, and that involves you cultivating a, a real prayer life, uh, a close walk with the Lord that you can that you can serve out of. You can't pour out of uh, you can't pour out something you don't have. So you have to be filled up in the presence of the Lord, and then you're going to have something to give. You have to receive healing in order to be 
an agent of healing and not an agent of corruption and disruption. Uh, so you need to get healed. And that's part of why, I mean, that's a huge part of why we're talking about deliverance today, because we need to, you need to get healed, I need to get healed, so that we can then begin to um, see the kingdom of God built around us, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We, in our fellowship that we call the Father's House, uh, we just finished Matthew, and we're starting Genesis. Uh, we're in Genesis 1, and the first thing that God does is bring order, and that's just is just such a strong reminder to me. You know, like if there's chaos in your life, it's a sign that you need deliverance. It's a sign that you have lies in your life. It's a sign that things aren't right because we were made for order. God inhabits spaces where there's order, and uh, and he wherever he walks into the room, he brings order. So if you really want God in your life, uh, expect him to bring order, and you have to be okay with that. He's going to move some furniture around. There's a limerick uh, that came to my mind a couple of years ago, and it's, um, I am a poet, you know, I wouldn't call myself like an an incredibly talented poet, but I've always written poetry and songs. But this came to me, and this is one of the favorite, my favorite little limericks that I ever wrote. It says, Wisdom, a friend, and still a stranger to me, coming into my house unexpectedly, rearranging my furniture and, and upsetting my kitchen. How did you ever get in? I think I actually botched that a little bit. But this idea, I just love it, this idea that wisdom just appeared in my house and started moving my furniture and rearranging my kitchen, which are two things that irritate many people. Definitely they irritate um, control people like myself. Uh, and yet you're also amazed at like the blessing it's bringing. And, you're just, uh, and I just find myself saying, like, how did you get in here? <laughs> how did you get in here, wisdom? Uh, so God brings order. Wisdom comes into the room and he brings order. And that upsets us sometimes. I think the ministry of deliverance upsets people because it is the Spirit of God knocking on the door saying, I want to come in, I'm going to bring order, and the demons in our lives are saying, no, no, don't let that in. We don't want that in. Um, and demons will say that, and you will think it's your voice, and it's not. It's demons who don't want to be evicted. So um, many people have objected to the deliverance ministry, and I got back on Facebook, not because I'm a fan of Facebook. I got off Facebook because I was really ticked with with uh, the whole social media, well, not the, all the social media, but Mark Zuckerberg and the Facebook world, uh, all the lying and injustice and propaganda and manipulation. And I want Facebook to um, to collapse. I mean, like, it doesn't deserve to be, um, to be what's the word for it, they, to have uh, customers. It doesn't deserve it uh, because they are, it's an evil organization. Um, and yet, there are people still on there. So after a couple of years of being off and getting into deliverance ministry, particular, particularly in, in all ministry, uh, doing church, um, hosting a church, I want to be able to set up events, and really there's nothing like Facebook to, to do that. So I got back on Facebook with one intention, and that's revival. I got on Facebook to burn the internet down, and so I got on there, and I'm not shy about deliverance ministry, and I don't hold back because I didn't get on Facebook to hold back. I got on there to bring the lost into the kingdom of God, to set the captives free. That's why I, That's why I'm there. So I'm not going to apologize for it, and I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to back down. That's why I'm there. Uh, so it's been it's been fun uh, burning the internet down, uh, and I've gotten a lot of pushback, and that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and in truth, I just want to say this. I would have been pushing back on this stuff I, I can't say how much how much I don't know. I'm I'm sure that I have objected in the past to the idea that Christians could have demons. Um, I think mostly because it scared me, but I don't. I can't say I ever thought about it much. I just didn't, and uh, yeah. So it just wasn't even on my radar. But um, but I I do understand people who object to it. And I'm not judging you. Uh, you know, I'm in the sense of condemnation. I'm, I think you're wrong, but I'm not uh, here to condemn you. Like God loves you, I love you. You're my brother, my sister. It's not. I'm not personally offended by your lack of faith on this issue. It's just the reality, and I've been there too. So no judgment there. But I, I want to address some of the things because people bring up a lot of things, and I think some of them are worth talking about. And a shout out to Jesse Stallman because uh, Jesse kind of gave me a list here. Uh, these aren't necessarily his objections, but it's ones that he's heard, and he kind of uh, put them together for me pretty well. So I'm 
Thank you, Jesse. I'm going to kind of bounce off of that with a few things that I've added as well, and some folks from Telegram, uh, just different things that I've encountered. So here we go. Light and darkness. This is from Jesse. He says, light and darkness, people say, can't be in the same place. Therefore, the Holy Spirit can't share a space. There's a lot of assumption there about, you know, how this whole thing works. I find it um, very inconsistent, though, of Christians who know that they still sin, um, and yet, you know, there there are definitely different ideas around this topic that cannot that are not compatible. Because in the uh, particularly in the Baptist world, and I am in the I am in the Bible Belt, and Baptist churches are uh, and are the prevalent ones. Um, and there are there's lots of Presbyterian too, uh, but uh, there is this pet doctrine about eternal security, which is, you know, once I said the prayer, got baptized, if I if I'm truly saved, that I'm saved, then no sin that I could ever commit would make me lose my salvation, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and yet, when you talk about casting out demons, uh, they say Christians can't have demons, um, and yet. Uh, so the, the, a Christian can sin really badly, um, and and they say so. You might say, well, if they, uh, you know, if a Christian can't have a demon, then why is so and so? Why did they cheat on their wife? Why did they get a divorce? Why did they? Um, why are they addicted to demons? And people and in the Baptist world, again, I'm not trying to pick on Baptists. I'm just saying this is where this comes from, uh, in my experience. Uh, if someone is living like hell, then they say, well, they weren't really saved in the first place, which completely destroys your doctrine of eternal security. There's nothing secure in that. If if a certain amount of sin or a certain level of sin or a certain kind of sin will make you be declared not truly a Christian in the first place, then there's no security in your profession of faith. And so that goes out the window. Um and then, you know, this idea that the Holy Spirit and a demon can't share a space, a Christian has sin in his life. We all sin. We still sin. Uh, and I think that is only cults deny that that's a reality. Uh, and there aren't even many cults that deny that reality. Christians still sin. So unless the Holy Spirit forsakes you when you sin, then darkness and light abide in the same place all the time. And yet I will say, that I think, in a sense, they don't, because uh, we compartmentalize our lives and, and even our soul. This is something that's new to me, um, encountering uh, survivors of satanic ritual abuse and learning about how our soul can be split. It's crazy. The Western world has, has done us an incredible disservice in not telling us the truth about how the world works. I had no idea that your soul could split to the point where the same person can do one thing one moment and can do another thing the next moment and person B doesn't know what person A did and yet it's the same person it's the same it's coming out of the same physical body i prayed with a man the other day for deliverance and one of the things that was a key to him uh, for for us to see that he had demons was the fact that he had done something very violent that was caught on on a security camera and he watched it but he had he had no memory of doing it he was completely in another mode when he was doing it so your soul can be split and i believe every person has a split soul to some degree or another and the greater the trauma uh, and abuse and occult activity the more that split is going to be deepened uh but the reality is we all have it somewhere and um you know when you when that happens there are places in our life that is that are closed off we we may have invited the holy spirit into us um but there are places that were reserved and I, that that the holy spirit does not have access to not because he can't have access to it but we haven't granted it and god god respects our free will um and so i know that that statement's controversial but it's not to me that is completely uh, 100% biblical, in my view, that God respects our free will, um, and so we have to grant him permission into certain places of our life. And I very clearly remember multiple times being in youth groups, and I attended a Baptist youth group 
from middle school through high school and beyond uh, on Wednesday nights. And I remember multiple messages about um, letting Jesus into the other rooms of your house. Like the, the illustration was we let Jesus into the foyer, uh, but we didn't let him into the bedroom. We didn't let him into the closet. We didn't let him into the kitchen or whatever. And that Jesus wants us to let him into all these rooms. And then there would be some kind of altar call of a rededication to Christ and that kind of thing. Folks, that's a... Oops, there it is. Say it again. Friends, that's, <laughs> that's the exact same idea that the Holy Spirit can dwell in you, and yet there are places in you where he is blocked out and where darkness resides, and we must grant him space in that. also want to say, I mean, the Holy Spirit dwelt with the, the uh, children of Israel in spite of great unfaithfulness, extraordinary unfaithfulness through the Israelite people. And today it says the tabernacle of God is with men, and like we said, we know we're sinful. So God does dwell with, next to, around sinful people and darkness. And as a matter of fact, I know from experience that darkness and light often run very close together because Satan's always trying to imitate the light in order to deceive us. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit is, there, that no darkness can dwell where there's light. I mean, that makes perfect sense. So in that way, I do agree that the Holy Spirit and a demon can't share space. This is the very essence of deliverance, that there is a place in us where there's darkness, even though we've given our lives to Jesus. Once we're aware of that, there's one simple way to get rid of it, and that's open the door to the light, invite the Holy Spirit in, command the darkness to leave, and it will now become what we claim it is, belonging to Jesus, under the lordship of Jesus. If you have an addiction, if you're addicted to pornography or any addiction, an, an addiction is the manifestation of, an, of the, um, a demon attached to the worship of an idol. You know, uh, comfort food, nicotine, uh, pornography, uh, all these things are things that we reach out to for a false comfort when we feel need. We are seeking from these things that are not God, things that we should be getting from God himself and from God only. So we are idolizing these things. Uh, We are demanding that they give us more than they can give us. They are lying to us, telling us, I will satisfy you. I will give you what you need. It's a lie. It's a demonic lie. And we believe it and we receive it and it destroys our life. That is an idol, and that is a place that doesn't isn't submitted to the lordship of Jesus. So we have allowed, we have accepted a demon in our life in that area, and the way to get rid of it is to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and to command that demon to leave because demons are what they are. Like I'm not I'm not the one who decides what a demon is. A demon acts the way it acts, and I know some some of how demons act now through personal experience encountering them because they talk they they act there's a there's a reality to them and it's not a, theo- a theological reality it's just a reality and so they have certain behaviors and many of them are stubborn and even though they are supposed to leave the rules say they have to leave by the blood of Jesus they won't leave unless you insist unless you pressure them and so you uh, you apply the pressure. They have to leave in the name of Jesus. But it also takes work. It takes effort. It has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen automatically. This is just the reality. But we, we do that. We invite the Holy Spirit in. And yes, now the Holy Spirit res- resides there and this demon can't enter, which is why Jesus told us that when a demon is cast out, it wanders around in dry places looking for a place to rest. And if it, it comes back to the house that was swept clean and put in order, which is what God does. Uh, if if nothing else is there, if he finds it empty, it's going to come back and bring more demons with it. So uh, that's why it's really important that when a demon is kissed, cast out, that we invite the Holy Spirit in, we replace it. As uh, the scriptures say, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Most people end with, don't be drunk with wine, if people even say that anymore. There are very few people that I hear talking about not being, uh, you know, not drinking wine, except deliverance ministers. So uh, anyway, but if you were to say that, most people would stop at, don't drink wine. 
It's like, follow the rules. Don't do the bad things. But it's not just a negative. It's don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's how we maintain our deliverance. Okay, so number two, um, there are commandments for ministry that include—some people say this— there are commandments for ministry that include casting out demons, but none in the commandments for the church itself. This is just blatantly false and silly. I don't understand how people make such a dichotomy between what God, what Jesus says to the disciples and what Paul says you know, in the letters to the church or the New Testament letters, as if we have to have a, an additional explicit command to cast out demons in uh, the epistles. Uh, why is that? I don't understand that that um, that arbitrary uh, rule or whatever you want to call it. What Jesus says to the disciples, he says to you and I, we are the disciples of Christ. I don't see how that's even difficult to understand, but that is that's the reality. Jesus named 12 disciples. We know he had more than 12 disciples. We know there were 70 that were called disciples that were sent out to cast out demons, to heal the sick. We know that there were more than 70. Every every child of God, every follower of Christ is his disciple. We are called to make disciples. The disciples are called to make disciples. But Jesus chose 12, not because he loved them more, not because they were more disciples than other people, because they were symbolic, because the nation of Israel was founded on the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. So the family of Israel came from Jacob and his 12 sons. They were the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. When Jesus named 12 12 disciples, he was saying, I am redefining what it means to be Israel around myself. This Now, if you become one of my disciples, you are part of the true Israel, because there are all sorts of uh, people, just like today, when in the church, all there are cults that say, we are the only, one who ha- only ones that have it right. If you're not part of our denomination, um, then you, don't, you aren't a true Christian or whatever. Um, Jesus was saying, you're a true follower of Christ. You're a true son of God. You're a true child of Abraham if you follow me. That's why he was choosing 12 disciples. So the disciples are the church. The disciples are the followers of Christ. There's no difference. Whatever Jesus said to the disciples, he said to you and me. So when Jesus tells the disciples to cast out demons and to heal the sick and to proclaim the gospel, he says it to us. And and I mean, like he told the disciples to preach the gospel. Do we need a special additional commandment to for us to preach the gospel? Now I don't hear anybody saying that. Why, why this particular uh, extra need for casting out demons doesn't make any sense to me. So I just say that one's blatantly false. What Jesus says to the disciples, he says to the church, you will cast out demons and you will heal the sick. Okay, so number three, supernatural healing is no longer something that happens. That's also just flat out ridiculous. Uh, that People only say that because they haven't seen it. If you don't pray for people to be healed, you won't see people healed, most likely. And if you do see people healed, you will also very possibly doubt it and deny it and say that it's a charlatan or it's a fake or whatever because you don't have any faith. So that's just, that one's easy. Number four, having a demon means you're not saved. I think this is a really huge hang-up for many people. And again, especially coming from the South in the Baptist world, uh, this idea that if I have a demon, I must not really be saved. And again, like I mentioned with the first one, there's just a lot of inconsistency there because many Baptists will believe that their, uh, you know, Baptist mom will believe that her sonny boy who is living like hell is still a Christian because when he was eight years old, he went down and said a prayer and got dunked. And uh, so in a way, it doesn't matter what he does now. It doesn't matter who he rapes. It doesn't matter what crimes he commits uh, because, I mean, it matters to her. She doesn't want him to do it, but he's still saved in her book. Uh, so I'm not sure why now when we say, oh, so-and-so has a demon, that would mean that they're not saved. But this is a huge one because the greatest, the simplest, the most profound truth about the gospel uh, or claim of the gospel is that God loves you. And it is the most difficult thing for us to truly accept and receive but God loves you. That is the gospel. That, I mean, like that is the essence of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
So the gospel is that Jesus is king, but the way that Jesus becomes king is through an extraordinary act of love, because uh, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus became king by laying down his life for his friends. He is that kind of king. He is a servant king. The gospel is the good news, because gospel is not a theory of atonement. It's news. It's about something that's happened. What has happened is that God has become king in and through Jesus. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and earth is given to him, and he loves us. That's the good news. That's the extraordinary news. Um, so uh, the, it's difficult. That's like the essence of the gospel, but it's still the most difficult thing for us to believe because we still feel naturally like we're not good enough. Um, shame, guilt, things that we have done, things that people have said to us that have put on us that said we're not good enough through the way they abused us, through the words that they said. I know uh, people whose parents told them that they hate them and that they never wanted them to be born in the first place. If your mom or your dad wanted to abort you or even considered aborting you, you it's very likely that you, from your womb, from your mother's womb, had a spirit of rejection because your parents didn't want you. You know, like... Uh, and it's things like that that keep us from believing that God loves us. So does having a demon mean uh, that you're not saved? No. Uh, well, th- you're not saved from whatever that, wherever that demon has a foothold. If, you're, if you have an addiction, you're not saved from your addiction, which is one of the things my dad uh, often pointed out when— uh, and I, th- I think I've shared this before on the podcast, but one time a guy on his softball team asked for prayer because he knew my dad was— a devout Christian, and he said, "Joe, I need you to pray for me." And my dad said, "Oh, you know, Mikey or whatever his name is. Uh, what do you? Uh, uh, sure, that's great. What do you need?" And he said, "Well, my girlfriend went back to live with her husband, and I'd really like her to come back." And he wanted my dad to pray that his girlfriend would leave her husband again and return to him. And my dad said, "Mikey, I can't do that. I can't pray for you to uh, continue to live in sin." He said, well, "You need Jesus. You need to be saved." And and the guy said. Oh, I've done all that. I've been saved. But he hadn't been saved. He hadn't been saved from his sin. He was still living in it. So um, does having a demon mean that you're not saved? It does mean you're not that in that area you are not saved. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It Really, it depends on you. It depends on how you respond to this. Because this—hang with me here, because a lot of people get so hung up on the technicalities of— Am I saved or am I not saved? What are you saved from? You're saved from sin. Israel, when they were delivered out of Egypt, they were delivered from slavery, but they weren't delivered so that they could wander around in the wilderness or wander back into slavery. They were delivered so that they could go into the promised land. And so you have to keep going forward. You know, you can be saved and you can still return. And we're going to get to that a little bit more, uh, a little bit, a little bit later. Um, But, you know, Every Christian, every true Christian is going to go through deliverance, period, without question, because we all live our lives with a certain level of uh, self-deception on purpose. We don't even realize we're doing it, but we are doing it. Uh, You know, we don't like to see our actions as being truly selfish. You know, someone um, says, oh, I didn't like that you did that. And we, um, I know my instinct is to be like, well, what's your problem rather than what's my problem? It's easy to blind ourselves to our own sins. Parents, how many parents, so those of you listening who are parents, uh, especially who have older children who have um, either rebelled or they just have difficult relationships with them, your children have told you things. They said, you did this and you were inconsistent with that and you hurt me when, the, you, did, when you did this. And all you say to them is, it's your problem. Why do you have that problem? Why do you feel that way? Because you don't want to look at yourself. You want to. You, you uh, don't have enough confidence in God's grace to look at yourself. So you you say the problem is their problem and it's not mine. We all do that t- to varying degrees. We live in lies that we tell ourselves because we're afraid of the truth. That is a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith in God's love. Um, it's also how demons hide. It's how demons stay safe in their uh, in their location within your soul. Um, and so, having a demon, uh, every Christian will go through deliverance because there's going to come a day when we'll stand in the presence of God, and every lie that is ever told 
that we tell ourselves will fall to pieces. There is no darkness in Jesus' presence when his full presence, and I think we can all comprehend this, that uh, there are different levels of the manifestation of God's presence. We know theologically, we know technically that God is always with us, but there are times where his presence is much more tangible, much more palpable. We can feel it, we can smell it, we can experience it in ways that we couldn't before. And so, uh, you know, we know that there is a difference to the level of God's presence. And when we stand before God without a veil, we will not be able to hide uh, from ourselves. We will not be able to tell ourselves lies anymore. And in that moment, we will either be fully delivered from whatever sin is in our life, or we will live and deny, uh, we will embrace our sin and choose our sin over Jesus. Because the Bible says that we are justified by grace through faith, and that it is through faith because it hasn't happened yet. Are you truly a Christian? Am I truly a Christian? This is how we, we look at, this, this is how we, we try to tell in the present that someone is truly a believer. Do they look like Jesus? Do they sound like Jesus? Do they talk like Jesus? Do they love Jesus? Um, do they profess Jesus as Lord? Have they been baptized? If I can see these things, if I see the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, then I can say confidently that you are a Christian. But I say it by faith because I can't prove it. Only God knows the fullness of your heart, and only God knows the fullness of my heart. And so what, what, what will I do when I stand in the presence of God? By faith, I declare that I will agree with Jesus on everything. If there's some, whatever in my life is wrong that Jesus points out, I'm going to say, you are right, Jesus. I am wrong. I bow down. I worship you. I receive your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. That's what I believe I will do because it's what I'm trying to do in every way I know how in the present. It's something I declare confidently because I trust in the, the grace of God, and I declare it by faith, but it's by faith because it hasn't happened yet. And there are so many people who want to say that they're saved from some technicality because they signed a card, because they went down front, because they got wet uh, in a baptismal pool, but they haven't truly given their lives to Jesus. And you have to fully give your life to Jesus. God doesn't require that in order to love you. God loves you as you are right now, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're going to do. God's love for you will not stop. The, choice, the, the, the hinge pin here is not whether or not God will choose to love you. He has already decided that because the Bible says it's because of his will that you exist and were created. It does, that says it in Revelation. It's not because your parents wanted you to exist. It's not because you chose to exist. It's because God wanted you to exist. And he said he saw all that he had made and it was very good. So God chose to value you from the very beginning because he loves you. It's what he chose to do. That issue is settled. What isn't settled is what you will do in response to that. Will you respond to God's love? Will you uh, trust in it? Or will you trust in your coping mechanisms, in your addictions, you know, in your hang-ups? So the question of, does having a demon mean you're not saved? It means in that area, you have not surrendered it to Jesus. So choose this day whom you will serve. If you want to be saved, surrender it to Jesus and get rid of the demon. And then you don't have to worry about the question anymore. Just deal with it. Okay, so some people say the Bible doesn't refer to fear, greed, or other such traits as demons or spirits. That's also simply not true. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that the God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Now, Paul wouldn't say God hasn't given us a spirit of fear unless some people were struggling with the spirit of fear. He wouldn't have to say that. Everyone would just have power, love, and a sound mind. But obviously, some people were struggling with the spirit of fear. So he has to urge them. God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's not from God. You need to reject it. Uh, maybe cast it out. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Uh, and I've heard this one a lot. Number six, you're blaming my sin on a demon. It's just a scapegoat. If that's the case, then why are you sinning? Why haven't you defeated sin in your life? If it's, uh, if it's entirely your fault, 
your problem. If it's entirely up to you, then just beat it. Why are so many Christians struggling with sin? Are they not really Christians? Do they not care? Do they lack passion? Uh, do they lack conviction? What is, what is their thing? I mean, they, some of those things certainly are true in, in many cases, but there are many people who are struggling with sin that want to do better, and they just can't seem to do it. That's how you know, actually, that you are dealing with a demon. If you are doing all the right things and still failing, it's because a demon has to be cast out. As, um, as I've heard it said, you can crucify the flesh and you cast out a demon, but you can't cast out the flesh or crucify a demon. You have to know what, what you're dealing with. Um, and some things, it's just, um, it's just a matter of fact. Some things are demons and some things are the flesh. Um, so if you can defeat your sin without ha- casting out a demon, then great. Praise God. That's what you need. But if you are doing all the right things and still not seeing victory, it's very likely that you have a demon and you need it to be cast out. So we're not talking about bl- um, blame shifting here or saying that I don't, uh, I shouldn't be blamed for anything. If you have a demon and you don't deal with it, you'll be blamed for not dealing with your demon. So um, it really is not. Um, it's an uh, inconsequential argument. Like, uh, except for people who just say, "Oh, I have demons," like, and think that that is a, an excuse. You you have to deal with your demons. You're the one in some way or fashion that's giving permission for that demon to deli- to live there. So you are responsible for it. You need to humble yourself and get rid of it. Um, let's see. Uh, from Telegram, Rob Not Bob asks, is there a way to ensure that you have exercised them all? And that is a question I have uh, wrestled with myself. And you can get paranoid um, in wondering, do I have a demon? Uh, and you don't want to be paranoid. Uh, paranoia is not from God. It's a f- Paranoia is fear. Uh, so you can actually have a spirit of fear tied to worrying if you have other spirits. If you are walking in freedom, you don't have to worry about this because different things happen to us. You, let's say you are completely completely free of demons, uh, and then you have a traumatic thing happen. Someone dies, someone you love dies on a car wreck. Demons can enter. You know, like... Uh, Trauma is one of the doors that the devil, excuse me, that the devil uses to enter into people's lives. And we can't control trauma that happens in our life. Um, persecution, Torben Sondergaard, it's a man who uh, is doing ministry, casting out demons. And he has been falsely accused and placed in um, prison, in an immigration prison, for the past nine months. And that's very traumatic. His wife, um, who loves the Lord, completely devoted to the Lord, uh, had a nervous breakdown and was hospitalized recently just from the tension of dealing with that. Um, And I used to work with the Voice of the Martyrs for many years. I know Christians uh, can be deeply wounded, traumatized, um, and even demonized through the persecution that we endure. And the Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So there's always a chance that we can be demonized again in the future, um, that we will be. I mean, you know, there there's going to be things that encounter us that we encounter that are difficult to deal with. Um, people will betray us. We have to forgive. We have to forgive things that we thought we had forgiven that's come up again. You know, there's there's it's an ongoing thing. Um, I think the main thing is if you're walking in righteousness, peace, and joy right now. Don't worry about it. When you run up against things, like when you find yourself uh, losing your temper, when you find yourself being depressed, you know that there's something that needs to be dealt with. And so you'll know them by their fruits. If, you have fr- if you're walking in freedom, don't worry. Just continue on doing what you're doing. When you run into a wall, then begin to address that wall, whatever it is. Um, Chris from Telegram also says, Getting informed consent first is my caveat. I agree with that. Um, I mean, to some extent, uh, there was uh, there have been some people that I prayed with who didn't think that they believed that Christians could have demons, and I didn't really tell them that we were casting out demons. I didn't tell them that at all. It was more of an emotional healing thing, and in that process, I cast out demons, and they still don't—I don't—maybe I, I, some things have changed with some of them, but— um, they still don't believe Christians can have demons, even though they got delivered from them. But they did agree in the prayer 
to let go of whatever it was that um, we were praying over. So they did agree to it. You can't force someone to be delivered from a demon if they don't want to be delivered from it. You're wasting your time. You could be even uh, making the situation worse because if you succeed in casting out the demon, it's going to come back, most likely. Um, And also it may hurt the person in the process of trying to cast it out if they're not willing to let it go. Or it may even hurt you. The other day, I was praying with somebody who said he was going to blow his brains out, and he quickly reached for his backpack, which one of the guys who was with me knew he had a gun, and grabbed the backpack. It got it got dicey there for a minute, and praise God, uh, that's that was the extent of it. But um, so it, you know, if you are trying to force someone into getting deliverance who doesn't want deliverance, that's a bad idea. They have to want it. Um, I will say though, I prayed with a young man the other day who was um, severely traumatized. And I don't know that he had the capacity even to fully hold his brain together. Plus, sometimes when drugs are involved, uh, it's hard for the person to stay in control. I'd never like um, evangelizing, sharing the gospel with someone while they're drunk. It just feels like you're wasting time. Yet, the Holy Spirit can move in any circumstance, and you can, I believe, bind spirits for the sake of preaching the gospel. Like, uh, you're not casting it out of the person necessarily, but you are commanding it to submit to the Lordship of Jesus so that the person has a chance to respond to the gospel. Because I do believe demons uh, hinder people from experiencing, from hearing the gospel. I mean, I know that as a fact. As a matter of fact, as I was doing deliverance with a man the other day, a couple of times when we started to address certain issues, he said his hearing completely disappeared, like he lost all hearing. And so I shouted, um, to to get through because there was a demon trying to keep him from getting deliverance. And that's happening all the time. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, there are people that we've tried to minister to, and when the day comes for the ministry, something always comes up and they can't come, um, or there's a car wreck or something like that because demons don't want to lose their home, and their mission in your life is to destroy you. And when they feel like they're getting close to getting evicted, they get panicky. So don't be surprised if you are seeking deliverance that you're going to come up against resistance. You're going to hear all sorts of voices in your head trying to talk you out of it, threaten you out of it. They are liars, and you need to press forward because because they will destroy you. If you don't get rid of them, they will destroy you because Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Another question that um, people ask is, do you think everything is a demon? And the answer is no. But my question to you is, do you think anything is a demon? And we talked about this before. You know, people say, well, do you think everything's a demon? No, but when, when was the last time something was a demon? When did you ever deal with a demon? I know for me, I never even, I never, I've encountered plenty of people who have struggled, who have strongholds that they can't overcome, but it was only till recently that I recognized it as being a demon, and then I cast it out, and look, at, you know, and then there's breakthrough. It's amazing. So, no, I don't think everything is a demon, um, but I do believe there are many things that are demons. And again, if you can defeat, if you can defeat the sin without deliverance, then great. Then it was the flesh. You crucified the flesh, and it worked. But if you're doing everything to crucify the flesh, and you can't do it. It's maybe because you're trying to crucify a demon, and you can't crucify a demon. You have to cast out a demon. Is casting out a demon the solution to everything? And the answer to that is no. And I'll kind of uh, associated with that is, uh, is casting out a demon a cure-all? It's not. Um, as a matter of fact, maintaining your deliverance involves discipline, you know, you need to read your Bible, you need to worship, you need to pray, you need to be in fellowship. Heard, I heard Vlad Savchuk the other day, who's a deliverance minister, one of the demon slayers, as they call him, uh, he gave, great, gave a great message about maintaining your fire, and he was saying that you need, to, you need to develop a prayer life, a fasting life, and a life of generosity, and those are things that feed your fire. That None of those are casting out a demon, but they do protect you uh, uh, it, it, they protect your deliverance. Um, you keep the fire of God in you, and demons don't want to come near that fire. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, casting out a demon is not the solution to everything, but it's the only solution to some things. Like, if you have a demon, 
You don't get rid of a demon by any other means except casting it out. Now, I do believe sometimes in simply hearing the truth um, or someone renouncing something, even at times worshiping things. I know for me, um, I believe I was delivered from a spirit of pride through the changing of my mind, which is also what we call repentance, that I just realized some ugly truths about myself. Uh, One, that I believed I was better than other people. Just admitting that to myself was kind of horrifying and humbling. So it went against the pride. So the, the spirit of pride was exposed, and it humbled me, and I repented. And I went and uh, apologized to people that I had injured. Um, and I believe I was delivered from a spirit of pride. And it wasn't maybe the what we imagine of someone shouting at, some, at me for a demon to come out. Many demons leave without, without a lot of work. But some don't. Some of them you have to put the pressure on. Some of them you have to pursue. Some of them are dramatic deliverances. That's just the way it is. But there are many... People, I believe, uh, probably many people listening right now, uh, who have been delivered from stuff without knowing that you were delivered from stuff. I mentioned earlier that I've prayed with folks who don't believe that Christians can have demons, and yet they got delivered from demons, and I think they still don't believe that Christians can have demons. Um, I think it's a little dangerous if you don't believe it because you won't be as on guard to keep it out. You know, it helps to know what your enemy is doing. You know, if you know your enemy's sneaking around the back door, you'll go around the back door, you know, pop up your shotgun and be ready for him or lock the door or whatever. Uh, but if you don't know what he's doing, you're more uh, vulnerable to attack. So um, I wanted to address, too, just because the idea uh, that Christians can't have demons is a huge one. Um, and people, and they uh, the other day I was with a young man who, uh, said that um, uh, he was saying that I was being unbiblical, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that Christians can't have demons. That doesn't say it anywhere. The Bible does say multiple times, Jesus himself says that we're to cast out demons, and nowhere in the Bible does it say Christians can't have demons. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. It says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So this is just one example here. But he says they are people who fall away from the faith. You can't fall away from the faith unless you had it at one time. So this runs against that whole idea that um, once saved, always saved, or Christians can't have demons. These are people who fall away from the faith, and they're paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Some people I know are going to push back on that and say, uh, well, they, um, the demons weren't inside them. They just paid attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. But if you're spouting doctrines of demons, they're coming from inside you, and they're coming out your mouth— this is inside you. And it doesn't really matter. You know, I think this argument about, well, are the demons in you or on you or around you or whatever, it's like saying, well, there are rats in my kitchen. Someone says, hey, you have rats in your kitchen. And I say, oh, it's okay. They live outside. They just come inside to eat things and spread disease, but they sleep outside. So, you know, it's not a big deal. It's the same. Guess get rid of the rats and stop making silly technical arguments about it. Don't you want freedom? Why are you making these arguments in the first place? Why are you so worried about the idea that Christians can have demons? Don't you trust in the love of God? Don't you trust in the power of God? If you've got demons, just deal with them. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He does love you. That's why he wants you to know you've got demons. Let me get them out of you. You don't want rats in your kitchen, and I can get them out, uh, God says. So, um, yeah, I think uh, we should just— um, Learn to rest in God's love, uh, and instead of being afraid that you have demons, find joy in recognizing where the demons are, because that's the first step to getting rid of them. And we're going to get rid of them right now. Uh, I know there's more to, to be said on this. Actually, one of the things, one more thing that people say many times is you know, when it comes to the disciples, like Judas. I said, uh, Judas... Um, was one of Jesus' disciples, and it says that Satan entered Judas. So the Bible says Christians can have demons. Some people say, well, that's before Pentecost. Um, 
and you know before the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside them. But uh, you know, Paul says, "Don't grieve the Holy Spirit." And in you know when Solomon built the temple, and the Bible says that we are the temple of the living God. When Solomon built the temple, it says the Shekinah glory of God filled the temple so much so that the priests couldn't even minister. They were overwhelmed by the glory of God. And yet, over the years, Israel began to embrace again the worship of pagan idols, uh, of idols of the nations, and they grieved the Holy Spirit of God, so much so that God abandoned the temple and it was destroyed. Um, it was destroyed when Israel went into captivity in Babylon. They rebuilt it, and it was destroyed again in 70 AD, as Jesus himself predicted, because God had abandoned the temple. And Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, don't be, um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, so don't listen to that. He says, um, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. These are things that we can do. So we have to learn to accept that and learn to repent of doing it. So I'm just going to pray a few minutes as the Lord leads uh, for those of you who are watching today and you're wrestling with stuff. Um, And for some of you, you're going to get delivered immediately. For some of you, you may manifest and need to, uh, you might need to seek individual help. You can reach out to me. My schedule is getting more and more full, but I will do all that I can to help you. Uh, Lord willing, I mean, I know the Lord's willing, so I will go ahead and reach out to me, and I will do what I can to help you, um, and uh, be glad to do that. Um, But some of you are going to be set free immediately. For some of you, we're going to weaken the demon's stronghold on your life, and you can continue to evict the demon yourself simply by renouncing the sin and commanding the spirit to leave. And you got to be tenacious. You got to, you have a, have to have a stronger will than the demon. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you for your words today, Lord, because it's scary to put myself out on the internet, um, knowing uh, the mistakes that I can make, knowing uh, my own weaknesses, and knowing uh, the things that can come against me. But Lord, I stand in your blood. I stand under your banner, which says uh, love. You said the banner over me is love, and the banner over every person listening today is love. Lord, I just thank you that before we were born, you loved us. Before we were created, you loved us, that you created us out of your own heart, out of your own intention, because you loved us, because you want us to exist. And Lord, we want to exist because of your love. And I just come against every spirit of suicide today uh, that, is, that has told us that it's be- the world is better off without you. That spirit of suicide that says you are unwanted, that your life is a waste, that you take up space. I come against you right now in the name of Jesus. You are a liar. The blood of Jesus cancels you. I cancel every generational curse of suicide. Every curse had entered through the bloodline on the mother's side for the 60th generation and on the father's side of the 60th generation. I break you now in the name of Jesus. We were put here on purpose. You, you were made by God, for God, as God's intention. God said about you when he created you, this is very good. And God calls you his son, and God calls you his daughter. So I come against the spirit of suicide right now. I bind you in the name of Jesus, and I command you to leave, to let go right now. Loose your hold on every person that's listening. You do not have a right anymore. The blood of Jesus cancels you. This person stands under the blood of Jesus and cancels you. He breaks your authority. Say right now, say, I renounce the spirit of suicide. Come out in the name of Jesus. I command the spirit of suicide to come all the way up and all the way out. Leave your life right now in the name of Jesus. Go to the pit and do not return. You are bound and you are canceled in the name of Jesus. Spirit of depression, I come against you. The blood of Jesus cancels you, and I command you to come all the way up and all the way out and leave this person's life. Leave their mind. Leave their sleep. Leave their dreams. You don't have a right in their life anymore. I cancel the assignments that are against you to discourage you. I cancel them right now in the name of Jesus. Generational curse of depression, you are broken 
in the name of Jesus. I cancel the assignment of death over every person that's listening. The devil wants to kill you. He has an assignment, and he has appointed demons in your life to take your life. That's why you're having near-death car accidents. That's why terrible things have happened to you and around you all this time, because the devil hates your guts. And that's because the Holy Spirit's anointing is on you. God has a purpose for you, and he will not leave you, and he will not forsake you. And he has also appointed his angels to guard your way until for this day, because in the name of Jesus, I break and I cancel with the authority of Jesus. I break and I cancel this the assignment of death on your life, and I break and I cancel the uh, I break and cancel the assignment of discouragement over your life. You will not walk in fear anymore. You will not walk in depression anymore. You are going to walk on with hinds feet on high places, which is like a goat, a mountain goat. Uh, climbing on mountains that doesn't look like it's possible, except that God has given that goat the ability to do it. And God is saying to you, you are going to walk in places. People are going to say, that is not possible, but it's happening because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you to preach good news to the poor and to set the captives free, and you will walk on hinds, with hinds feet in high places. The Lord is for you, and he is not against you. And I break every lie that's come against you to say that God has rejected you. Spirit of rejection, I come against you right now. You are a liar, and you have been lying to this person since they were in their mother's womb. Spirit of abortion, I break you. I break your stranglehold on this person. I break the curse of abortion, the generational curse of abortion. You are wanted. Your mother had believed lies, but I come against those lies right now because the Lord wants you to live and not die. It was he who created you, not your mom. He is the author of your existence, and he says you are good. So I come against the spirit of suicide. I come against the spirit of abortion, and I break you right now. Now, in the name of Jesus, you will live and you will not die. And Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you are the spirit of adoption. And I come against the spirit, the orphan spirit right now that exists because someone said to you, I don't want you. It exists because someone said, we don't want this baby. It exists because people bullied you. It exists because people molested you and cursed you, saying that you are trash through the way that they treated you. And it brought in an orphan spirit. And I come against that orphan spirit right now. And I say that your time is up. You do not belong to this person. You do not belong in this person. You are evicted. I bring the Holy Spirit's eviction notice and I show it to you right now. You have to leave because the blood of Jesus cancels you. You have to leave now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of adoption, come fill your children. You love your children. You like your children. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that you made us in your image. So adopt us in your name. We thank you for the name of Jesus and for the spirit of adoption, which we receive right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We love you. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you that you're setting the captives free right now. Lord, we bless you. We bless your holy name. Lord, I thank you that people watching today are worship leaders. They've never picked up an instrument, but they will pick up an instrument because you're calling them right now to do warfare, to glorify the name of Jesus, to throw down the spirit of depression, and to lift up the name of Jesus. God is calling you right now to be his worshipers. So grab your guitar, grab that piano, grab that flute, even that saxophone. Use it right now for the glory of Jesus. Worship him. Do warfare. The devil hates worship. So worship him where you are and be free in Jesus' name. If that had blessed you today, if you got some freedom today, uh, then let me know in the comments um, and I know God is setting the captives free. I know he did a great work in you today. I want to share with you, too, that we are going to do another mass deliverance service um, on April 8th, which is the Saturday of Easter weekend. So I want to invite you to pray for that. It's going to be here in Etowah, North Carolina, um, and you can see the um, details of that in the show notes. Uh, but I'd like to invite you to come out to that. Um, but I also would like you to invite you to pray for that. If you want to support what we're doing here in Western North Carolina and around the country, uh, then you can do so also with the donation buttons below. Be sure to like, subscribe, share with a friend. Um, and I also wanted to let you know I am working. It's hard uh, to do to to grow in my technological side of these things because I'm doing 
all all this stuff online by myself for now. Uh, and um, I do many things, but one of them is uh, I'm a worship leader and a songwriter. I've been working on this song for this deliverance event. That is a deliverance song. People are going to be delivered while singing it. And I already got this song, um, multiple layers of it tracked, and then I had a file and a backup file. Both of them got corrupted. That is not coincidence. That's spiritual warfare. So um, I appreciate your prayers as we get ready for this event uh, because we do come under attack. And uh, so your prayers are greatly appreciated. But I look forward to sharing that song with you, and I'll be sure to let you know as it um, comes to completion. And I ask that you would pray for it as we get ready for it. I trust today has blessed you. It's blessed me. Thank you for joining with me in this ministry, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. It means nothing if we don't do it together, because we are the body of Christ, and um, together we have increased fellowship and an increased measure of the manifestation of God's presence. So uh, be blessed, and I will see you again next time on The Faith of the Fathers.